Section 17 of The Natural History, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary J. The Natural History, Volume 4 by Pliny the Elder. Translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Section 17. Chapters 40 through 47. Chapter 40. Methods of Irrigation. Watering is good for trees during the heats of summer, but injurious in winter. The effects of it are of a varied nature in autumn, and depend upon the peculiar nature of the soil. Thus, in Spain, for instance, the vintager gathers the grapes while the ground beneath is under water. On the other hand, in most parts of the world, it is absolutely necessary to carry off the autumn rains by draining. It is about the rising of the dog-star that irrigation is so particularly beneficial. But, even then, it ought not to be in excess, as the roots are apt to become inebriated and to receive injury therefrom. Care should be taken, too, to proportion it to the age of the tree, young trees being not so thirsty as older ones. Those, too, which require the most water are the ones that have been the most used to it. On the other hand, plants which grow in a dry soil require no more moisture than is absolutely necessary to their existence. CHAPTER Forty One, REMARKABLE FACTS CONNECTED WITH IRRIGATION in the Fabian district, which belongs to the territory of Sumo in Italy, where they are in the habit, also, of irrigating the fields, the natural harshness of the wines makes it necessary to water the vineyards. It is a very singular thing, too, that the water there kills all the weeds, while at the same time it nourishes the corn, thus acting in place of the weeding-hook. In the same district, too, at the winter solstice, and, more particularly, when the snow is on the ground or frost prevail, they irrigate the land, a process which they call warming the soil. This peculiarity, however, exists in the water of one river only, the cold of which, in summer, is almost insupportable. CHAPTER 42. INCISIONS MADE IN TREES The proper remedies for charcoal blight and mildew will be pointed out in the succeeding book. In the meantime, however, we may here observe that among the remedies may be placed that by scarification. When the bark becomes meagre and impoverished by disease, it is apt to shrink, and so compress the vital parts of the tree to an excessive degree, upon which, by means of a sharp pruning knife held with both hands, incisions are made perpendicularly down the tree, and a sort of looseness, as it were, imparted to the skin. It is a proof that the method has been adopted with success, when the fissures so remain open and become filled with wood of the trunk growing between the lips. CHAPTER Forty Three. Other Remedies for the Diseases of Trees The medical treatment of trees in a great degree resembles that of man, seeing that in certain cases the bones of them both are perforated even. The bitter almond will become sweet if, after spading round the trunk and cleaning it, the lowermost part of it is pierced all round, so that the humors may have a passage for escape and ensure being removed. In the elm, too, the superfluous juices are drawn off, by piercing the tree above ground to the pith when it is old, or when it is found to suffer from an excess of nutriment. So, too, when the bark of the fig is turgid and swollen, the confined juices are discharged by means of light incisions made in a slanting direction, by the adoption of which method the fruit is prevented from falling off. When fruit trees bud but bear no fruit, a fissure is made in the root, and a stone inserted, the result of which is that they become productive. The same is done also with the almond, a wedge of rober being employed for the purpose. For the pear and the service tree a wedge of torchwood is used, 
and then covered over with ashes and earth. It is even found of use, too, to make circular incisions around the roots of the vine and fig, when the vegetation is too luxuriant, and then to throw ashes over the roots. A late crop of figs is insured if the first fruit is taken off when green and little larger than a bean, for it is immediately succeeded by fresh, which ripens at a later period than usual. If the tops of each branch are removed from the fig, just as it is beginning to put forth leaves, its strength and productiveness are greatly increased. As to caprification, the effect of that is to ripen the fruit. Chapter 44. Caprification, and Particulars Connected with the Fig. It is beyond all doubt that in caprification the green fruit gives birth to a kind of gnat, for when they have taken flight there are no seeds to be found within the fruit. From this it would appear that the seeds have been transformed into these gnats. Indeed, these insects are so eager to take their flight that they mostly leave behind them either a leg or a part of a wing on their departure. There is another species of gnat, too, that grows in the fig, which in its indolence and malignity strongly resembles the drone of the beehive, and shows itself a deadly enemy to the one that is of real utility. It is called centrina, and in killing the others it meets its own death. Moths, too, attack the seeds of the fig. The best plan of getting rid of them is to bury a slip of mastic, turned upside down, in the same trench. The fig, too, is rendered extremely productive by soaking red earth in a muria, in laying it with some manure upon the roots of the tree, just as it is beginning to throw out leaves. Among the wild figs, the black ones, and those which grow in rocky places, are the most esteemed, from the fact of the fruit containing the most seed. Caprification takes place most advantageously just after rain. Chapter 45. Errors that may be committed in pruning. But, before everything, a special care should be taken that intended remedies are not productive of ill results, as these may arise from either remedial measures being applied in excess, or at unseasonable times. Clearing away the branches is of the greatest benefit to trees, but to slaughter them this way every year is productive of the very worst results. The vine is the only tree that requires lopping every year, the myrtle, the pomegranate, and olive every other. The reason being that these trees shoot with great rapidity. The other trees are lopped less frequently, and none of them in autumn. The trunk, even, is never scraped except in spring. In pruning a tree, all that is removed beyond what is absolutely necessary is so much withdrawn from its vitality. Chapter 46. The Proper Mode of Manuring Trees The same precautions, too, are to be regarded in manuring. Though manure is grateful to the tree, still it is necessary to be careful not to apply it while the sun is hot, or while it is too new, or more stimulating than is absolutely necessary. The dung of swine will burn up the vine, if used at shorter intervals than those of five years, unless, indeed, it is mixed with water. The same is the case, too, with the refuse of the courier's workshop, unless it is well diluted with water. Manure will scorch also, if laid on too plentifully. It is generally considered the proper proportion to use three modi to every ten feet square. This, however, the nature of the soil must decide. Chapter 47. Medicaments for Trees Wounds and incisions of trees are treated also with pigeon dung and swine manure. If pomegranates are acid, the roots of the tree are cleared and the swine's dung is applied to them. The result is that in the first year the fruit will have a vinous flavor, but in the succeeding one it will be sweet. Some persons are of opinion that the pomegranate should be watered four times a year with a mixture of human urine and water, at the rate of an amphora to each tree or else that the extremities of the branches should be sprinkled with silphium steeped in wine. 
The stalk of the pomegranate should be twisted if it is found to split well on the tree. The fig, too, should be drenched with the amuria of olives, and other trees, when they are ailing, with lees of wine, or else lupins may be sown about the roots. The water, too, of a decoction of lupins is beneficial to the fruit, if poured upon the roots of the tree. When it thunders at the time of the volcanalia, the figs fall off, the only remedy for which is to have the area beneath ready covered with barley straw. Lime applied to the roots of the tree makes cherries come sooner to maturity, and ripen more rapidly. The best plan, too, with the cherry, as with all other kinds, is to thin the fruit, so that that which is left behind may grow all the larger. There are some trees, again, which thrive all the better for being maltreated, or else are stimulated by pungent substances. The palm and the mastic, for instance, which derive nutriment from salt water. Ashes have the same virtues as salt, only in a more modified degree, for which reason it is that fig trees are sprinkled with them, as also with rue, to keep away worms and to prevent the roots from rotting. What is still more even, it is recommended to throw salt water on the roots of vines, if they are too full of humors, and if the fruit falls off, to sprinkle them with ashes and vinegar, or with sandarac if the grapes are rotting. If, again, a vine is not productive, it should be sprinkled and rubbed with strong vinegar and ashes, and if the grapes, instead of ripening, dry and shrivel up, the vine should be lopped near the roots, and the wound and fibers drenched with strong vinegar and stale urine, after which the roots should be covered up with mud and annealed with these liquids, and the ground spaded repeatedly. As to the olive, if it gives promise of but little fruit, the roots should be bared, and left exposed to the winter cold, a mode of treatment for which it is all the better. All these operations depend each year upon the state of the weather, and require to be sometimes retarded, and at other times precipitated. The very element of fire even has its own utility, in the case of the reed, for instance, which, after the reed-bed has been burnt, will spring up all the thicker and more pliable. Cato, too, gives receipts for certain medicaments, specifying the proportions as well. For the roots of the large trees he prescribes an amphora, and for those of the smaller ones an urna, of a muria of olives, mixed with water in equal proportions, recommending the roots to be cleared and the mixture to be gradually poured upon them. In addition to this, in the case of the olive and the fig, he recommends the layer of straw should be first placed around them. In the fig, too, more particularly, he says that in spring the roots should be well molded up, the result of which is that the fruit will not fall off while green, and the tree will be all the more productive and not affected with the roughness of the bark. In the same way, too, to prevent the vine fretter from attacking the tree, he recommends that two kanji of a muria of olives should be boiled down to the consistency of honey, after which it must be boiled again with one-third part of the bitumen, and one-fourth of sulphur. And this should be done, he says, in the open air, for fear of its igniting if prepared indoors. With this mixture the vine is to be anointed at the ends of the branches and at the axles, after which no more fretters will be seen. Some persons are content to make a fumigation with this mixture while the wind is blowing toward the vine for three days in succession. Many persons, again, tribute no less utility and nutritious virtue to urine than Cato does to Amuria. Only, they add to it an equal proportion of water, it being injurious if employed by itself. Some give the name of voluere to an insect which eats away the young grapes. To prevent this, they rub the pruning knife every time it is sharpened upon a beaver skin, and then prune the tree with it. It is recommended also that, after the pruning, the knife should be well rubbed with the blood of a bear. Ants, too, are a great pest to trees. They are kept away, however, by smearing the trunk with red earth and tar. If a fish, too, is hung up in the vicinity of the tree, these insects will collect in that one spot. Another method, again, is to pound lupins in oil, 
and anoint the roots with the mixture. Many people kill both ants as well as moles with a myria, and preserve apples from caterpillars as well as from rotting by touching the top of the tree with the gall of a green lizard. Another method, too, of preventing caterpillars is to make a woman with her monthly courses on her go round each tree barefooted and ungirt. Again, for the purpose of preventing animals from doing mischief by browsing upon the leaves, they should be sprinkled with cow dung each time after rain, the showers having the effect of washing away the virtues of this application. The industry of man has really made some very wonderful discoveries, and, indeed, has gone so far as to lead many persons to believe that hailstorms may be averted by means of a certain charm, the words of which I really could not venture seriously to transcribe, although we find that Cato has given those which are employed as a charm for sprained limbs, employing splints of reed in conjunction with it. The same author, too, has allowed of consecrated trees and groves being cut down after a sacrifice has first been offered. The form of prayer and the rest of the proceedings will be found fully set forth in the same work of his. Summary. Remarkable Facts, Narratives, and Observations, 880. Roman authors quoted. Cornelius Nepos, Cato the Censor, M. Varro, Celsus, Virgil, Hyginus, Caserna, Father and Son, Scrofa, Calpurnius Bassus, Trogus, Aemilius Macer, Gracinus, Columella, Atticus Julius, Fabianus, Mamilius Sura, Docenus Mundus, C. Apidius, L. Piso. Foreign authors quoted Hesiod, Theophrastus, Aristotle, Democritus, Theopompus, King Hiero, King Attalus, Philometor, King Archelaus, Archidus, Xenophon, Amphilicus of Athens, Anaxipolis of Thassos, Apollodorus of Lemnos, Aristophanes of Miletus, Antigonus of Syme, Agathocles of Chios, Apollonius of Pergamus, Bacchius of Miletus, Bion of Soli, Carius of Athens, Charistus of Athens, Diodorus of Priene, Dion of Colophon, Epigenes of Rhodes, Euagon of Thassos, Euphronius of Athens, Androtion who wrote on agriculture, Escrion who wrote on agriculture, Lysimachus who wrote on agriculture, Dionysius who translated Mago, Diophanes who made an epitome of Dionysius, Aristander who wrote on portents. End of section 17